0: Alright, here we are with another episode, and Dickie, so you run the company, Ninth Ward, and sure. you go by Dickie, but your real name's Nathaniel, so uh, let's start off with the name, how did you, how did you get the name Dickie from uh, Nathaniel?
1: Nathaniel, uh, Nathaniel Stiza, I grew up in Milwaukee, Wisconsin, and my whole life I went by Nathaniel and no short versions, no Nate, no Nathan, no nothing. I guess an occasional like nasty mate, but uh, Nathaniel through and through, like all throughout high school, realistically. And then uh, I moved to Salt Lake City. I mean, in 2008 and pretty much the first year I lived there, my middle name, Richard, Nathaniel Richard. I told my buddies that in the dorms and it was like Dickie Stiza from then on out. Everyone knew me as Dickie in Salt Lake. And everyone that I knew in Milwaukee knew me as Nathaniel. So it's still kind of that way because it happened right when I moved to Salt Lake City. Everyone sort of called me Dickie. And literally everyone in Salt Lake knows me as Dickie. And uh, yeah, I didn't even like the name at first, honestly. I thought it was kind of corny. And
0: I, now I kind of like it. So I'm on the fence. It's sixes. Do you feel like you have a different persona for both those people? Well, that's a pretty deep
1: question. I don't know if we're ready to go that deep quite
0: yet. We might get there, Ethan.
1: <laughs> but, uh, you know, maybe, maybe, yeah, I don't know. I always kind of introduce myself to females as uh, Nathaniel. Uh, so that was kind of funny. You know, even when I was here in Salt Lake, I would introduce myself. I mean, even to my current girlfriend, I introduced myself as Nathaniel my friends would call me Dickie. She'd be like, well, you know, what, what are you gonna call me? So, uh, yeah, it was kind of interesting that way, but yeah. Uh,
0: yeah. Words. Would- yeah. All right. So let's get into the childhood. What was it like growing up in Milwaukee, Wisconsin? Uh, awesome. Honestly. Yeah. I grew up in Wisconsin, kind of had the typical
1: Midwestern upbringing. Uh, Yeah, Wisconsin's awesome. I love it there. Milwaukee's cool, you know, right on Lake Michigan. Um, I grew up in Milwaukee, which is like southeastern Wisconsin. I grew up just south of there. So I was like an hour, hour and a half from Chicago. And I'm like 10, 15 minutes outside of Milwaukee. Um, I went to school. I went to high school, right? in Milwaukee and border of Milwaukee and, uh, Wauwatosa, if anyone knows what that is. Uh, but yeah, grew up in Wisconsin, loved it there. Still love it there. Still visit out there as much as I can, but, uh, not quite as much as I'd like to, but, you know, holidays, Christmas, whatnot, but yeah, I love it out there. Childhood upbringing was good. Mostly normal, um, yeah. I mean, grew up skiing out there with, I mean, I grew up skiing like with the Cub Scouts actually, uh, we would go, they'd go like one trip a year to the local ski resort. And, uh, yeah, it was awesome. That's how I learned to ski. Um, but yeah, pretty cool. This The hill that I grew up at mean, I figured I'd mention, but, uh, I was looking it up today because I mean, it's, it was this little hill outside of milwaukee and uh it was tiny it was like a little garbage dump that they uh, put a couple chairlifts on like an actual landfill and a garbage dump and uh it was literally 220 vertical feet like i just looked up there, 220 vert at this little hill in milwaukee but that's where i learned to ski and i still like that place a lot it's called the rock sports complex it was called crystal ridge but that's where I grew up skiing. And there's, there was like a giant methane uh, chimney burning in the woods. It was like all the methane gas from the landfill. And then like two chairlifts and a tow rope. Uh, one of the chairlifts was always broken. One of them started on fire. Like tiny little ski resort, janky little lodge. And now it's crazy. They pumped like millions and millions of dollars into that place. And no, it's
0: pretty cool. So, you're, so the town you grew up in, was it a suburban town or was it like just a miniature city? Yep, I grew up uh, in the suburbs of Milwaukee, yeah, about, you know, 10, 15 minutes
1: outside of Milwaukee. Uh, my first childhood home was in Greenfield, Wisconsin, and then I moved to Hales Corners, uh, if anyone knows where that is, probably not really,
0: but uh, Hills Corners is just south of Milwaukee. Sick. So, yeah, like, so when you were getting older, when you guys would want to go out and cause trouble, would that be, were you guys, like, driving around smoking weed like uh, country kids, or would you go into the city and and, uh, look for stuff to do there? Uh, It was cool, honestly.
1: I went to school in the city, and, uh, yeah, so we got into lots of trouble uh, downtown. Yeah, I had a lot of friends in the suburbs, and a lot of friends in the city, too. The school that I went to was kind of cool. It was like uh, a private, uh, I went to a private school and then uh, they did like this huge scholarship program. They brought all these kids in and like it was something crazy, like 60% of the kids there were paying tuition and then like 40% or 30% of the kids were uh, on scholarship and they were from the city. And it was an interesting dynamic of people. Uh, It was like, a pretty good art program so the school was a little bit uh artsy but it was also right on the border of milwaukee in uh and wawatosa and yeah it made for an interesting dynamic you know a lot of cultures a lot of people a lot of uh, backgrounds i would say like that so yeah i was running around uh causing trouble all over the place really yeah maybe a little bit too much but uh I went to school in Milwaukee. Um, yeah, high school. And uh yeah, I ended up getting kicked out of my high school for running around and smoking weed and shenanigans like such. Uh but yeah, um childhood upbringing, mostly normal for the most part. And yeah, high school got into a lot of trouble, but uh it's kind of partly what brought me out to Utah. So uh, here we are, I've been in Salt Lake City for uh, 13, 14 years now, going on 14 years. So it's been a wild ride, Uh, but did I answer your question or did I just talk around
0: in certain? No, that was good. So after you got kicked out of high school, like what the hell is your next move? How old were you? Uh, I was 17.
1: Yeah, I was 17. I actually uh, finished high school, uh, technically got my GED through correspondence courses. I basically, and it was even better for me, honestly. I got like all, uh, basically I just finished my entire last year of high school, my entire senior year of high school through booklets, pamphlets, you know, finished the pamphlet and I was done with the course and it was super easy for the most part and uh, actually graduated earlier than I would have if I wrote it out in high school uh, and actually started school at the University of Utah a semester early which was kind of cool and kind of shitty because I started halfway through a semester and uh, my next semester after that was actually way better and uh, I met way more people but um, yeah so finished high school doing correspondence courses and uh, technically got my GED I guess um but you know made it into the University of Utah actually just barely uh like seriously just barely but uh made it into the University of Utah and uh yeah I guess that kind of brings us to the next chapter I suppose but yeah then I started school at the U in you know 2008 and uh it kind of changed my life, you know, being out here in Utah and, you know, being able to drive a half an hour up to park city and ski in the morning or ski after classes and whatnot. I mean, you've probably heard it a million times uh, on the podcast, but you know, I'm sure, you know.
0: Yeah. So just quick question. I mean, so what was your parents' reaction? Cause you're kicked out of high school, but then it seems like you rebounded pretty successfully, like getting into college and then like starting college early. So was it like a, kind of they were of two minds about it like how was the reaction to all, the whole situation yeah good question it was kind of a complicated
1: situation and actually kind of a complicated uh point in my life but uh my mom was diagnosed with cancer like 10 years prior to that uh and she was I mean tech, really she was kind of dying at the time uh you know I was getting into high school and she was on her way out so I was, uh, you know, kind of back and forth from Milwaukee and Salt Lake. My mom passed away, uh, I was like 17, and 18, uh, 17 or 18. And, uh, you know, so it was a mixed bag, you know, my, they were proud of me for getting into school, you know, it was, it was a long time where it wasn't really looking like I was going to college. Um, so, I mean, right before my mom passed, I was getting into the University of Utah and moving out there and, you know, coming back and forth a little bit and, uh, yeah, crazy time. Um, you know, not necessarily like the brightest memories, uh, in general, but, uh, you know, my family was proud. Uh, you know, obviously I, I was fucking up a whole lot, but, um, I kind of, yeah. I guess I rebounded, um, still rebounding, I guess, but, uh, yeah, I don't know. Um, they were supportive of me. You know, I always wanted to move out West. They knew that. Um, I was kind of like obsessed with skiing, my entire upbringing, uh, ever since like second grade, first time I went. So, uh, they were supportive. They always kind of knew I was going to move out West. Uh, me, my mom and my dad had like looked at schools. Um, I thought about schools in Colorado and, you know, wherever really california but i always wanted to move out west uh utah kind of seemed like a natural natural place to land but um it, they were
0: yeah. Big. yeah well I'm, yeah thanks for sharing that i know that it's definitely tough but i feel like a, there's a lot more people going through that than uh than people think
1: listening to riley's episode yesterday and he's like talking about the same thing and uh like your most recent episode. And, uh, yeah, I thought that was cool. Uh, he's talking about dedicating, uh, all his projects, to his mom his you know, original sewing projects and all that. So I thought that was kind of interesting.
0: Yeah, definitely. So did any of your buddies follow you out from Milwaukee to, uh, Utah, or were you just going, going and finding a whole new social group? Uh, originally I was, uh,
1: originally I was by myself. Uh, I didn't really know anybody when I moved here and the first semester I really didn't. I I met a handful of people, but um, starting school in the middle of the semester was a little, uh, or in the middle of the year was kind of tough, but uh, that next year, a couple of my homies, including Emmett, actually, was you mentioned, but uh, Emmett and Jake Koulos, uh, my homies moved out from Milwaukee. I had known both of them, you know, loosely from growing up and, Skiing in the Midwest, but, uh, yeah, so we moved out here pretty much at the same time. And, uh, you know, that second semester of my college experience is when I met, uh, Emmett, uh, all those homies, uh, Vishnu homie for those who don't know. And, uh, yeah, that was, uh, awesome, awesome time,
0: honestly. Yeah. And so did you... I don't know if you already mentioned what your major was, but did you go just to go skiing or did you actually have something at school that you wanted to pursue?
1: Yeah, really, I I just wanted to like go out and ski. You know, again, there was a long time where I didn't think I was going to end up going to college. And uh, so when I ended up going to school, I didn't have like a concrete plan or anything like that. Uh, I had always kind of thought I would uh, do business which is actually what I started. Um, I started as a business major, or I guess I did a bunch of general elective classes. And then, um, yeah, I was a business major for a while, but I didn't really have a concrete plan of what I wanted to do. And I actually ended up switching majors and uh, got a humanities major. Um, Eventually, I don't know if we're getting there quite yet, but uh, I got my degree in uh, international studies with an emphasis on trade and commerce um which was kind of like a backup plan to uh that business degree but i was never any good at math so (laughs) Uh, yeah it was tricky but i kind of took my time going through school i ended up taking six years uh to get through school at the university of utah but um i was taking classes on like tuesdays and thursdays and you know actually trying to ski like five days a week back then which i can't really do anymore but um i was skiing a whole bunch uh like almost every day back then and yeah it was dream scenario you know um growing up in the midwest I'm always kind of dreaming about that uh but yeah dreams realized
0: so it's been a hell of a ride
1: i love it out here in salt lake
0: uh
1: i mean what's not to love
0: yeah so what was your goal for skiing did you just want to ski as much as possible? Or were you thinking, Oh yeah, I'm going to go out there and the Midwest kid's going to go pro. Like what were you thinking?
1: I took it like relatively serious. I would say, I mean, I don't know. I wasn't like competing or anything like that, but I always, I always just enjoyed it. Um, And I would, you know, try to go as hard as possible really, but I wasn't, um, I don't know. Yeah. Growing up, I guess I wanted to be like a pro skier or whatever, I guess for a long time. Uh, and I got pretty good, uh, not like crazy good or anything, but, um, I just really like to do it honestly. And I always have, um, and honestly, like ninth word was always kind of an inspiration, uh, from the jump really. So, um, I guess we'll get into that too, but, um, yeah, I always ski not super competitively. I liked filming a lot, um, just kind of like fucking around filming, um yeah back in the day I guess like I grew up at that little hill and when I was in high school I started skiing at another little hill and uh I was like running around with my friend Brian Landrigan shout out Brian Landrigan Andy Pascoff and uh, a bunch of those homies back in
0: Wisconsin and uh yeah word so So when did the, yeah, when did ninth board come into the fold for you in terms of like where you were at in life? Like, was this, did this start in college or was this after you graduated?
1: Well, I guess if you, if you want to go back, uh, like originally, um, I guess originally I just, I was just a fan of ninth board, like back in the day or like I, um, so I guess to start, to start off, like when I was growing up in Wisconsin, that uh, hill I mentioned, not the first one, but the one I skied at in high school is called Sunburn. And it was also tiny, it's like 300 vertical feet. But I don't know why. And I meant to look it up before I before I did this, but uh, way back in like, I don't know, it must have been like 2004 or five. I don't know, but there was uh, for some reason like B Divine. And shout out B Divine and uh, a couple other like Ninth Ward riders from way back in the day came to my little hill in uh, Wisconsin, uh, Sunburst. And it's like a little tow row park, which is awesome. Uh, I love tow row parks and I love that place, honestly. But um, yeah, I remember B Divine and a couple other homies uh, came out and they built this crazy setup for them. And yeah, I'll never forget it. Like, I literally remember BTV dropping in Switch. I could picture it like it was yesterday, like dropping in Switch to this feature. I can still picture it exactly the color, white and blue. And it was a flat rail with a rainbow after, like a crazy dragon tail thing. Dropping in Switch and like literally had like a do rag and a grill in. And I was like, damn, skiing is fucking cool. You know, At, I was just like, I had never realized how fucking cool ski it was. And I was like, damn, this is the coolest thing ever. And from that point on, I was always like, uh, you know, I always liked Ninth Ward skis. I didn't, I, I rode a few pairs of Ninth Ward skis, a couple other funny stories about that or grinding demo Ninth Ward skis way back in the day. But um, yeah, I always kind of liked, Ninth Ward. That must have been a couple years after uh, Ninth Ward originally came out. But I always thought it was super cool. I always kind of rode like hand-me-down skis just especially like through college but um, rode on a few pairs of like demo Ninth Ward skis. I was like traveling across the country. There's this event called uh, the Tyrol Basin Spring Gym. Crazy story. I don't know we can get into it if you want but at one point I like was hitchhiking across the country. And I went. My end goal was like Tyrol Basin Spring Jam and it's this uh, event at Tyrol Basin, which is another awesome hill in the Midwest. And uh, basically I hitchhiked all the way across the country from Colorado. And made it to Tyrol Basin, rode a bunch of demo skis. Uh, my homie Brian Landrigan again was working with or for Nightboard at the time. And again, they had like some Visprint, uh LT skis and they were, fuck like, it, like they were so sick. And I remember riding at Tyrol Basin and riding on Nightboard skis. And again, I was always just like a huge fan. And uh, yeah. Um so yeah, always loved the brands. Um and then I guess flash forward. Um I yeah, so I I actually got involved way back in the day a little bit. I was like on the street team, uh, which is kind of funny. I like hung my street team jersey up. I don't know if you can see it out there. Uh just like, I'm looking at the back of my phone right now, so I can't even see you, so I'm probably just, like, s- staring off this way, so, but I hung out my Ninth Ward Street Team jersey back there, which is, like, so old, and there's, like, burn holes in it and shit, but, uh, there was, like, back in the day, some of you probably know but about a ninth Ward Street Team, and I was part of that, and, uh, it was, like, basically, they gave you pro form on skis, and, you know, wanted sell them and promote them and all that it was kind of a cool concept but uh i had kind of been involved way back then not really but you know i was trying to be and all that and um so it wasn't until like 2013 or 2014 that i ever really had the idea or even the thought to kind of actually get involved with ninth ward and i guess that's kind of a crazy story too Um, I guess we're probably at that point in the story but um, so I had gone to SIA one year just kind of for the hell of it really again my friend Brian uh, was working for either like Burn Helmets I think Uh, shout out to all those guys Um, or he might have been working for some other company at the time but uh, I went out to SIA and just like uh you know the trade show in denver uh, or it was in denver at the time you know went out to the trade show and just partied for like whatever three days uh yeah like i remember driving out there in a blizzard in this little convertible i had at the time and like nearly dying and semis passing me on the road and i'm like driving out to uh denver to go party or whatever but um yeah, I went out to SIA and you know, a bunch of debauchery really. And uh I remember, you know, kind of chatting with uh the homie Brian and he had been involved with Ninth Ward in the past, or at least knew Campbell and Shane and uh had at least been in contact with them in the past. So I kind of picked his brain and we're all you know just shooting the shit really. And uh it was uh kind of the time period where Ninth Ward wasn't really making skis there was like a year or two hiatus um really there was like a bunch of bridges burnt and uh some production that you know didn't pan out and you know again before I was even involved but um there was like a year or so hiatus you know in 2013-2014 where there were no nine board skis which is kind of what sparked the idea I suppose at least in my mind was I was like drunk at SIA and uh you know, I remember hearing stories about like the Ninth Ward booth back in, you know, back at SIA and how crazy it was. And if anyone has stories about that, I'd love to hear them. But um, I remember hearing crazy stories about the Ninth Ward booth at SIA in the past. So that kind of, that kind of sparked my interest a little bit. And I was like, damn, Ninth Ward's not here at SIA. It was my first time ever going to the trade show. And I was like, that's a fucking shame. Cause again, i always been a uh, huge supporter and a huge fan. And um, so I'm like, Ninth Lord isn't here. I'm picking my buddy's brain about the company. Um, I might have like got the contact from him or just like literally from a Google search. So I hit up Campbell, right? And I'd never met him before. So Campbell was uh, Campbell and Shane were the guys who were like running the company. It was like, Campbell and Mick made the company. And again, Campbell and Shane were like running the company. Uh, again, tons of history there. Happy to go into the history, at least that I know, because uh, I wasn't there for a lot of it. Um, but um, yeah, God, where am I going? Where am I even going with this? So yeah, I got involved really then in 2015.
0: Yeah, you said you called. You said you called Campbell. Um,
1: yeah, sorry, I'm kind of circling, but Campbell out of the blue, uh, and that must have been, you know, 20. Mm, yeah, it must have been like 2013 or 2014, and I swear I exchanged like a hundred emails uh, back and forth. Like again, kind of fanboying, maybe a little, maybe kind of like. Telling him, you know, hey, I'm going to business school, and I love Ninth Ward. Like, what's up? Like, what's the plan? What's what's the plan? You know, not that it was any of my business at the time, but I'm like, I want to support Ninth Ward in any way that I can. Uh, like, what's up? Can I buy a fucking skis? Like, how do I support you, regardless? You know. And he's kind of like at a dead end a little bit. He's like not even sure if he's ever going to make skis anymore. So I'm like, that can't happen you know I'm like uh like fucking board sick I'm not gonna no, I don't want nightboard to fucking die not that you know I really had any skin in the game necessarily but I'm out here in Utah I'm going to school at the U and I'm like I am like I don't know maybe maybe this could be a fucking thing you know maybe nightboard doesn't have to die so seriously so I exchanged a million emails with Campbell and I'm like I'm like i don't know i'm going to school for business like let me run the let me run nine floor and uh you know a million more emails and then uh i guess long story short and then we can go into any details that you want but uh i broke my ankle back in college and my heel uh i broke my calcaneus and uh pretty gnarly injury from a street spot a bunch of the homies were there they could probably tell you the stories but I think Emmett was there actually um a bunch of other homies were there but yeah I broke my ankle pretty bad I was laid up and I guess what I'm getting at is I was laid up with after the surgery I got a bunch of hardware removed on my foot in 2014 or 2015 or both actually and I was like, fuck it. I wrote a 10 page business plan and I sent it to Campbell and he was probably like, Oh damn, this kid's like actually serious. And, uh, so yeah, millions of emails later we were like signing contracts and, um, I tried to do, I tried to negotiate it fairly. And, you know, again, I was always a fan first and a supporter first. So, um, Yeah, I bought the company, really. I got a screaming deal, I suppose, but I basically bought the company and I uh, told Campbell that I'll continue paying him 10% of that profit up to a certain point. And uh, we can get there too, but obviously I'm a tiny little brand and don't really make a ton of money. So um, it's been, uh, yeah, been kind of a ride, but uh, yeah, I still still am kind of paying it off technically but um I kind of worked it into the contract that as long as I'm keeping the company alive and still filing for a business license that uh even if I'm not making hand over fist that I can keep running the business and uh you know still kicking back 10 percent or whatever uh up to a certain point so uh those are kind of the rough details so uh, again, I always never wanted to step on any toes and, uh, again, I, yeah, that's kind of how I got
0: involved, but uh... that, that is super sick, dude. All right. So I'm stoked on this story. So, I mean, maybe we should open this open with this, but for the viewers that don't know, Dickie's like the second iteration of ninth word. And like you've already explained, you took over the company. So when you say that you like, you bought it from him. Did you just buy like just the, everything like all like all the well, trademarks, like, all that? Like, how what did you actually physically or not physically, but like what was in the contract that you bought from him?
1: Yeah, so I basically bought the rights to the name, uh, the rights to the branding, and all that. Um, so, I mean, most of the value, in my opinion, and some some people would say that the value is like dwindling. Some, you know, but uh, the value is was always kind of intrinsic to me and that it was the real value was like the reputation of Ninth Ward. It was uh, a sick company in my opinion and always was and always will be. And uh,
0: so, yeah. Sick. And so, I mean, you're in college. How, how did you have the confidence to say like, oh yeah, I can make skis? Like, did you have contacts at a factory or did, were you just hoping to use like the same... Uh- Supply chain as him,
1: I probably had too much confidence, really. But um, I was kind of um, so. I guess backtracking, I was kind of building skis at the time, uh, not like for ninth ward or anything like that. But um, yeah, it is kind of a cool full circle in that. Back in like 2014 or something, I was uh, me and my homie Chris Trunick. Shout uh, out to Chris. Uh, And his family and his new kid. Uh, But we were making skis in his garage. Uh, He lived with that homie, Brian, that I mentioned, Brian Landrigan. And we were making skis in his garage. So, um, I mean, I always loved skiing. I was always kind of skimming. But uh, we were building skis in his garage. You know, that was before I had ever communicated with uh, Campbell or anyone from Nightborg. We were building skis in the garage. And they're pretty sick. I've got like some photos of them. Uh, I mean, they're pretty sick, but they were like handmade vacuum pressed skis built in a garage. So it was pretty rudimentary. But we had always talked about, I don't know, building skis um, way back in like the idea phase for Vishnu, you know, me, Emmett and Chris were all, you know, and Kale were all in communication and, uh, yeah, it was kind of cool. Honestly, like I remember when Vishnu was in the idea phase and, uh, just watching Emmett grow the brand from, you know, in these last few years has been cool. And especially seeing them, you know, start from the ground up. So, uh, yeah, I was building skis at the time. We were all kind of fucking around building skis, trying like some cool, Honestly, we were doing some pretty cool stuff with uh, different laminates for wood cores and things like that, carbon fiber and kind of interesting ways and braided patterns and things like that. So, uh, but we were making skis and kind of, you know, I guess really doing some early R and D. But again, that was really before I had ever had the thought of, you know, being super involved in ninth ward, because it wasn't really until that year at SIA that I had the idea, but um, yeah, does that answer your question?
0: Totally, absolutely. And so, my other question is and it's a bummer we couldn't get him on the podcast, but um, because I don't even know how to get in touch with him, I'm sure actually you would be able to get in touch with him, but like, what's the origin of ninth ward itself? I know that the founder was from New Orleans, hence the name ninth ward. If anyone's not familiar with the ward system down there the what's the origin of ninth ward yeah just like that how the company got started overall like but even before you um yeah as far as the origin of ninth ward is concerned you know again
1: i I was involved from 2015 um the origin of ninth ward is all the way back since 2002 and 2003 so again it was really campbell and mckell who were originally, you know, originally running the show, and uh, they uh, basically, the story goes, you know, Mammoth Lakes, 2002, 2003, there was, you know, that original core group of Ninth Ward homies, and they were all super close, and they were all living on some spot in Mammoth, and... You know, they ended up starting a ski company and the rest is kind of history, but, um, yeah, as far as the origins are concerned, they go way back to like the origins of freestyle skiing almost, you know, so they go way back to like 2003, you know, twin tip skiing at, at least, but, um, so yeah, Knight has been around forever, um, you know, before, I was even like into arts being really, you know, so the, the origins run really deep. And again, that's why I was kind of inspired early on uh, because, yeah, in early ninth it was like a super, which so is kind of what, kind of why I try to keep the dream alive. But again, uh, super core and kind of like, that was like the pinnacle of like skiing and skiing being cool, at least for me in my perspective. So, um,
0: yeah. Sick. So what you did with ninth ward, I'm I'm super impressed because I'm a big, I'm a big proponent of, if you want something, you have to ask for it. You can't just expect what you want to come to you. So have you always been like that where you're like, I want this, I'm going to go after it. Or was this the first time where you're like really going out of the box, asking for something crazy?
1: Yeah, I'd, I'd say I was kind of always like that, you know, I was always a bit of a go-getter, I suppose. Um, and especially things that I was passionate about, I guess, like, I really, like, latch on to things that I'm passionate about, you know, hobbies, or whatever, really, but uh, yeah, I mean, I totally agree. If you want something, you gotta, like, take the initiative to kind of, like, build my whole general career based around that, like, not even involving ninth board, but Um, yeah absolutely if you want something go and get it you know kind of uh, the idea kind of came nothing and uh, yeah I was persistent for sure I guess I I would definitely say that I that in general I'm persistent so um, in most aspects of my life really uh, and I procrastinate a whole lot, too. But uh, I would say in the long run, long game style, uh, I am uh, persistent, for sure. So I definitely think, looking back, uh, that definitely played, played its Because yeah. When I say I exchanged a million emails with those guys, like, I, they probably were, like, hoping I would shut the hell up and probably leave them alone. But again, it all worked out in the end
0: we're all on good terms. So, um, yeah. Yeah. That's sick. I mean, you're hitting all the, I completely agree with the persistence part too. You could do anything as long as you're persistent enough. And as long as you're patient enough to wait, you know, years for potentially for something to pan out, but that's usually, if you're waiting that long, it's usually something that's worth fighting for. Um, I'm so glad you said that cause I completely agree. Um, all right. So you get the company in your hands and where do you go from there? Because you you finally lock down the deal, but then you actually gotta do the work.
1: Right. Yeah. So I guess you mentioned that a little bit earlier, but yeah, at that point it's like, yeah, what the hell do you do? You know, it took me so long to kind of negotiate the deal, probably like, you know, a couple of years or you know, over a year negotiating the deal really. So I, at first, I had really focused all my effort into that. I'm like, well, I can't really do anything until uh, this becomes a reality. So, uh, yeah, I certainly didn't come from an industry background or anything like that. And I certainly didn't have a good like, idea of what to do. But again, I kind of just, you know, once it became a reality, I was like, oh, I got to figure this out you know, and I had a lot of flexibility technically, but yeah, it was tricky. I kind of just reached out to a bunch of places and got, you know, um, the way things generally work as far as ski production is concerned is usually you have to, I mean, minimums are crazy, especially if you're building skis overseas or something. I've always built my skis here in the States since I've been involved, but, um, and you know, it's, Neither here nor there, but um yeah, I reached out to a bunch of contacts and got a bunch of quotes, you know. A lot of companies saying, like, yeah, if you buy a mold and order uh 100 181 centimeter skis, we'll give you this price. And I'm like, Yeah, there's no fucking way. Uh I had just pretty much spent most of my life savings like buying the company, um so. Yeah, I didn't really know what I was doing, but um what I ended up doing is reaching out to a million people. And uh some people I guess some people know this, but uh in 2015 I got in contact with um Never Summer snowboards in Colorado. Cause I was like, I didn't really care either way, but I was like, I think I'd rather make skis in the US just you know, because of the stigma of skis built elsewhere so i was like i'd rather build skis in the u.s so i reached out to never summer skis and you know they had actually built some nine board skis way way back with some of some like really early nine board skis and maybe small runs or something but uh, uh, yeah i reached out to them so uh and it was good timing there because they were just starting to do oem manufacturing uh, so they were like, "Yeah, we'll build skis for, for you." And the minimums were a little better than overseas, and the prices were obviously higher than overseas. But um, yeah, so that's where those first white uh, nine board skis back in 2015—the uh, first skis you know since I brought things back—those uh, came from Never Summer, and they were pretty badass. Uh, I skied on the same pair mostly just for the sake of principle but I skied on this same pair um, like for three years or something like that Um, skiing you know at least like 70 days plus and lots of street spots and concrete and stuff like that just for the principle really but those were good skis kind of wish I had some at the moment but yeah those were good skis and uh, I just reach out to them and they give me a quote. So uh it gets a little bit more complicated than that as far as like overseas production and especially if you're making your own custom molds and things like that. But there are options available and there are companies that'll do OEM manufacturing I and mean, could say there's examples of that all over the place right now.
0: You know so what, is, so what does OEM stand for?
1: Uh, Original equipment manufacturing. It's, you know, I guess what I mean by that is Never Summer obviously makes their own snowboards. They've made a bunch of Icelandic stuff. Uh, Everyone knows that. A bunch of other companies that are probably lesser known. But Never Summer was like, we'll make skis for other people. You know, we'll make make skis for you. We'll make skis for nine boards, whatever. Uh, So they were just starting to do that. You know, they had always made um like contracts manufacturing stuff but uh yeah yeah so like yeah so uh that's basically just yeah somebody else making uh, the crop and that's kind of across the board uh as far as manufacturing goes I believe yeah I don't I don't know
0: yeah and so it's more the shape of the ski that's important than the top sheet correct? Like, could you do like, say the minimum's 100 just for an easy number, could you do like 25 of one top sheet, 25 another, blah, 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 as long as it's the same mold? Yeah, generally
1: not, no. So uh, that, that's kind of what makes it tricky and it's kind of what makes it expensive as far as doing like big runs of skis, especially for a small company, is that, you know, even at the absolute lowest, I was able to like get, you know, 25 minimum. Uh, per size so that first run i made three different sizes which in retrospect maybe i shouldn't have done all three but um i made one 180s 170s and 160s and uh yeah it yeah like again there's minimums uh and it depends on the place but um yeah again a lot of places are hundred minimum per size and graphic like per skew like uh, so yeah it's tricky that way uh, which has kind of led me to what I'm doing now which is again a little bit different but um, yeah tricky you need a lot of money to do that and uh, that's def- definitely not something that I have so yeah um, <laughs> Yeah, it's tricky, but yeah, like minimums per skew and per graphic. And, uh, that's the most challenging part.
0: Uh, yeah. My... So did you inherit the entire library of top sheets?
1: I wish.
0: No, that's a little bit
1: complicated. So, um, I mean, the white top sheet that everyone's seen is definitely inspired by... An original top sheet and a lot of people know that but an original to, or a top sheet from like 2012. Um, damn I wish I inherited all the top sheets. No again most of the value was all intrinsic value and it was mostly just buying the rights to the name and all that but um, you know Campbell himself had designed a lot of the top sheets and I'm still you know obviously I'm on good terms with him so I've got some access in that regard but there was other people who designed some of the other top sheets so uh again i tried to keep everything prior to when i got involved in 2015 and try to keep it all separate uh because i mean for a number of different reasons but i couldn't just like go take somebody's graphic that was contracted to do the work back when you know so um Yeah. And I don't have a graphic design background either, but again, Campbell was responsible for a lot of those graphics. So, um, yeah, a lot of, I mean, a lot of times I've thought about doing, you know, and I have done some, but like throwback graphics and things like that. But honestly, like all those graphics and all of his graphics back in the day were awesome in my opinion. Yeah. Super cool.
0: Yeah. And did you, and like, at that point, you said it was kind of inactive for a couple of years. So, were there any team riders or anybody that still wanted to be affiliated with it, or were you starting basically clean slate?
1: A little bit. I mean, not really. There were, yeah, there was a handful of people who were involved previously that wanted to be involved again. Um, yeah, like Scrappy Joe. Uh, ultimately, you know, I'd ridden ninth word before and was hyped to get back on board for a little bit. You know, ultimately, I couldn't really support him all that much but like yeah i kind of started from scratch i gave skis to jake carney back at the beginning which was awesome and uh Carney kind of blew up but uh another homie sebo was kind of on the program before i mean b divine just has like a library of skis so uh he's kind of running out of park skis so i'm trying to make him some new park skis but um yeah, there was, you know, again, be divine was you know, always riding the skis. There was a couple people like still involved that were previously involved, but uh, no, it wasn't like I had a team ready to go or anything like that, or even like a plan for a team and I probably should have planned more, but uh, I was like, I got to give away some skis and I got to get the word out and I can't give away too many skis. or I'm not going to make my fucking money back. And uh, so I didn't really have a concrete plan, but again, I gave away, uh, you know, a few handfuls of skis and got the product out there a little bit and tried to get the word out there again a little bit. Um, but yeah, no, no silver platter, unfortunately. But yeah, mostly from the ground up, um, and yeah, you know, gave some homies some skis and gave some uh, people that I like watching ski gave up some skis and uh yeah so kind of just figured it out i mean kind of figured it all out just like off the cuff so um yeah certainly no expert in that regard but you know again just trying to make it work and uh i'm still super passionate about it and yeah love it so yeah again what's not to love but again always been a big big supporter so hype to make it all a reality and like all the support is unreal so
0: yeah so i mean so you definitely had passion driving you did you um in terms of like maintaining your confidence starting out something completely new like you said that you saw the start of Vishnu as well did that kind of give you a notion like yeah like even if it's difficult this is totally possible
1: absolutely Yeah. You know, uh, I saw all that firsthand and, uh, I mean, even more so today, I'm like, damn they they really blew up and, uh, they're doing awesome things. So, um, yeah, it was cool. It was really cool to see the entire process and, you know, kind of be somewhat involved at least, you know, seeing it and, uh, you know, giving some input, you know, I guess at some points, but, um, yeah, awesome to see all that evolve and grow. And uh, yeah, it definitely, you know, gave me that confidence to believe, you know, yeah, that this is totally possible. Um, so yeah, I mean, again, it's a huge inspiration there and all the Vishnu boys, you know, Emmett, Dylan,
0: Tyson and Luke and everybody else. So homies with all those, all those dudes. That's awesome. Um, so how are you running it today? You said that things might've changed a little bit. So what's like the current, how, how's everything working these days?
1: Yeah. So, uh, I kind of, I guess, toned it back a little bit. I mean, for a number of reasons, but, uh, after buying all those skis and, uh, having all that inventory in my tiny little apartment, I was like, damn, how the hell am I supposed to do this? You know, it just, uh, I guess what really happened is that I was kind of stuck with a bunch of the 161 short skis, which is kind of funny because the 180s sold really good and the 170s really good, sold really good, and then anyone who was like 161 centimeters and below had no idea what ninth board was because you know they were too young or whatever, so it was kind of funny. But yeah, I held on to a bunch of those 161 skis, uh, but so I kind of toned it back a little bit. Um, I was like, I can't hold on to all this inventory, let alone afford all this inventory. Um, So, you know, tried to get creative again, reached out to companies about small run skis and, you know, test batches of skis and demos. And, you know, um, some companies would be, you know, some manufacturers would be like, well, our minimum is 100, but we can do a test batch of 10 pairs of skis or whatever. So I tried to figure out like how I could make skis kind of more small run, which uh, sounds and is really expensive. But uh, I was like, maybe I can negotiate something where I can build skis one at a time. So again, I've been in Utah for 14 years. So As of right now, my friends who also build skis are uh, building, you know, they build their own skis to their own brand and they're making our skis here in Salt Lake. So right now I build them one at a time and uh, yeah, they're all made to order. I don't think that's going to continue forever. uh, And I would save enough money to build some skis and have some small inventory of skis, but and doing some custom runs and one off graphics and stuff like that. But uh as of right now, I'm pretty much building them made the order. So uh basically people hit me up, they tell 'em tell me that they want them, and I tell them how long it's gonna take. So kind of depends on the time of the year, but um we don't do crazy numbers or anything like that. But when people want to rev nine board, I'm like, hell yeah, And okay, I'll make you a pair of skis. Here's what it's gonna cost.
0: So so what have what have you been doing for uh full-time work during this whole process? Cause this does not sound like a, uh, like you're making enough money to support your, your life.
1: Right. Yeah. I mean, I've, uh, I've been working pretty much, I mean, mostly full-time throughout ever since i you know, got involved, but uh, I worked in bars and restaurants, like most of my way through college and I guess partially or mostly because I could like work in bars at nighttime and I could ski all day so I could still like work a job and make some money and again always trying to just like ski as much as I possibly could and uh, so yeah I was worked in bars and restaurants for a long time and it's kind of an interesting story but to answer your question right now I'm managing a restaurant Uh, Downtown here in Salt Lake City, and I started as a barback. So I started like at the lowest rung in the company like four years ago at this place. And uh, yeah, now I'm managing and uh, yeah, keeps me very busy. Like I'm working 50 hours a week and then doing nine tour stuff on top of that and still uh, skied a ton this winter and you know stay pretty active in summertime too but uh i don't know i like to stay pretty busy personally so um yeah so does that answer your question
0: totally and i mean i gotta draw the comparison so with ninth ward you started out on the lowest possible rung you started out as a consumer and a fan and now you're running the place and the same thing with the restaurant, you started off as probably arguably one of the lowest positions you can be maybe a busboy is slightly lower than a barback, back. But uh, and now you're running the show there. Yeah, that,
1: that's cool. Actually, I like that. Uh, that's a good comparison. But I mean, I never really thought about it that way. But I mean, seriously, if you can get your foot in the door someplace. Uh, you know, I hopped around from job to job for a while. And it's like, You know, you're never going to move up if you're just bouncing after a year. So it also doesn't look too good on the resume. So, which is tricky, especially for a lot of people who are like trying to ski a whole bunch, you know, trying to keep a consistent job and make it out to Mount Hood for the springtime and shit like that. So I bounced around a whole lot from job to job, but then uh, I ended up kind of settling. um, Well, not like not like settling, but you know, settled in and kind of uh you know worked at the same spot for three and then for you know almost going on four years i think now so uh yeah i got my foot in the door and then wiggled my way up
0: so do you want to plug the restaurant or you want to stay anonymous yeah
1: come on down i work at the copper onion and uh yeah it's a damn good restaurant honestly so i'm proud to work there uh yeah we're Right downtown in Salt Lake City and next to the Broadway theater, if you know where that is, but uh, 300 South and State Street and we got a fucking awesome burger. Probably one of the better burgers in town and we can whip you up and be up to beef stroganoff also that's nice. So, <laughs> uh, yeah, it, it's honestly been a cool experience and it's a good company to work for and uh, yeah, I eat all sorts of good food and uh, for free and it's awesome yeah, I like working in a restaurant. Again, most of my background was working in bars uh, and bartending, which uh, is also fun. But I bartended for a lot of years, again, mostly so I could ski all day and work at night. But uh, yeah, it definitely brought me to what I'm doing right now, working in a restaurant. So. um,
0: Sick. And so, I mean, a lot of the I, I personally love Salt Lake, but every time I'm talking about Salt Lake with people that are like aren't in the ski scene, they're like, "Oh, isn't that just like the Mormon city?" So like, how is the uh, how's the nightlife there having such a uh, such cl- like having the, the regulations yeah. so closely tied to the church?
1: Yeah, that sounds like every conversation. You know, from a two, you know like everyone comes into Salt Lake and they're like, or even from an outside perspective, they're like, "Oh yeah, the Mormons, the Mormons," and it's like, yeah, we've got a ton of Uh, LDS population in Salt Lake. But as far as the nightlife is concerned, you know, you won't really see somebody who's LDS hanging out on Main Street where the bars are and whatnot. So like there, I mean, I live right downtown and I like, you know, basically I'm two blocks away from I'm two or three blocks away from the temple where I'm sitting right now. Um, But it's like, I don't know, Mormons are all super nice from my perspective. You know, I walk down the street and walk with my dog and say hello, and uh, everyone's super friendly. So there's really not that much. I mean, uh, I don't know. You know, it's like as far as the nightlife is concerned, you're definitely not seeing too many Mormons
0: out and about. Yeah, but like the, I'm, so do okay. the regulations, do the regulations affect the nightlife? I'm th- like, I think last time I was at a bar there, they're saying they can't pour doubles and all this other stuff.
1: Yeah, as far as like working in the bar is concerned, absolutely. I mean, uh, here in Utah, the state controls all of the, I mean, really all the booths. So um, all state run liquor stores, all taxed. So they can bring in uh, some extra bucks. And uh, yeah, Lord knows they do. But yeah, all the booze in Utah is heavily taxed. And I mean, working in a bar is a little tricky. Like, yeah, you certainly can't pour a double. Like, it's, there's all sorts of dumb rules. But like, I can give you an ounce and a half for whiskey, but I can't give you three ounces in the same glass. But I can give you an ounce and a half. I can give you an ounce and a half after that. And I can give you an ounce and a half after that. But you can't have both of them in front of you at the same time. Because I don't know, because then you could get drunk or something. Uh, like in my restaurant we've got a little bar area but we've got a restaurant license and like there's some tables that are five feet away from the bar uh, but technically you know the guest isn't allowed to walk their beverage from the bar to the table that's five feet away or across the restaurant but because we have a restaurant license like the state is afraid for them to like walk with their beer to their table like who knows what could happen. Um, but yeah, so there are weird laws like that in Utah for sure. But uh, I've only bartended in Utah. I mean, obviously liquor laws in Milwaukee, Wisconsin are pretty opposite uh, to here, but I never bartended there. So everything that I learned about you know, bartending and you know, spirits and whatnot, I learned here in Utah. So uh, yeah, lots of weird laws as far as that's concerned. I mean a laundry list of them really.
0: <laughs> cool. I just wanted to ask because yeah, I figured being a bartender in, in Utah would be would be difficult. Uh so what's the uh so what's the vision for the future of ninth ward? You kind of gave us a little a little taste of it, but like what's like if you had to, you know, talk to an investor, what's the what's the long term vision?
1: Yeah, it's a good question. Uh again, I mean I told you that I I'm always kind of uh, reaching out to contacts and uh, talking about potential production runs, even stuff like that, trying to have manufacturers in my back pocket, um, you know, for future endeavors potentially, but um, yeah, future plans. I mean, as of right now, I'm going to keep doing what I'm doing. I'm going to keep building skis in Salt Lake, but I have certainly thought about doing some more small production runs uh, I've thought about making skis here in the US still. I thought about making skis in Europe a little bit. And, uh, you know, again, if I'm going to do some small production run, I'll get better prices. And I can, again, I mean, end goal, I, I'd really like to bring my price down a little bit. Right now, I'm uh, a little bit more expensive than I'd like to be just because I'm building skis one at a time. But uh, in the long run, I'd like to have some cheaper options available too. Uh, especially growing up as a park skier, I know what it's like, you know, trying to uh, keep fresh skis on the year after year. So uh, I want to make some durable, affordable skis. Uh, I'd like to continue doing some kind of one-off stuff and one-off graphics and one-off shapes. But uh, I don't know. I think that Ninth Ward's got lots of potential to grow. Again, it's not my full-time job, and I am the sole. Uh, employee, if you will. But um, yeah, I think there's a lot of potential. I want to keep making some clothing. Um, you know, I want to keep making skis. I want to keep making clothing. And uh, yeah, I think there's lots of room to grow, really. Um, and I intend to. So uh, I'm excited about the future and uh, excited about, you know, keeping nines on my feet for sure.
0: Sick. So we got some viewer questions. Um, oh, yeah. The first one, you expressed some concern about before we start recording, but what is your hot take? Oh, yeah. I was like, what? what is a fucking hot take even? You know, it's like
1: <laughs> that on top or something. No, just kidding. Um, I was like, what is a hot take? Because I feel like most of the hot takes that I've heard on the show is like, um, like, this, like some sort of negative thing, like something that people don't like or whatever, but uh, I don't know. Yeah, I was like, I really don't know that I have a hot take is what I admitted to you, but I said, I'd think about it. So I I certainly have been, Um, but yeah, I don't know. I would say my only hot take is kind of like a good hot take. And that's like, I just want to shout out the people who I think are doing really cool things. And again, all my boys at Vishnu, all the child labor homies and all the mill bastard homies, I think are at kind of the pinnacle of what is cool and skiing right now. So my fucking hot take is that that's the shit that's cool. And uh, there's a lot of other shit out there that's not so cool. So I guess maybe there is some negative in there as well. But uh, yeah, I think. Like, you know, skiing in the street and kind of doing your own thing in that way is like the coolest thing about skiing and, you know, getting creative that way. So uh, that's always kind of been my influence all along. But that's my hot take is that that's, you know, that's the cool shit, in my opinion, in skiing. And like, there's a lot of uh, there's a lot of goofy shit out there, too, as there
0: is in most aspects of life. But um, yeah, does that work? Yeah, that works. We'll take that for sure. We won't. We won't force you to call any any cruise out that you don't like, unless you want. <laughs> I will. I will. But yeah, uh, and you know, do your thing for sure. Uh, but yeah, again, I just think that that's kind of what's at the pinnacle right now. I think that shit goes hard. Word. So we got a uh, we got four viewer questions total, and uh, it's basically split in half. It's two. It's two people asking the same two two groups of two people asking similar questions. So. Uh, David Baird Zero and uh, whoever submitted this one's going to have to forgive me Sindre Plazin sorry if I pronounced that wrong Uh, so so one of them's asking can we get some OG top sheets like the E-Dolos and will we see Henrik riding nines again so basically very similar questions
1: awesome question like myself a lot of people are inspired by Henrik and uh, yeah, Henrik rode for Ninth Ward for a long time, and that was again kind of like the height of Ninth Ward, in my opinion. So, uh, will there be a Henrik Karloski? I mean, that doesn't really make sense uh, right now. But um, I get a lot of people saying that they really like that graphic. So yeah, I've been playing around with like some white and gold. Uh, that's I'm actually ho- hoping to make some of this summer but some white and gold if that's what you mean but uh yeah uh yeah good question really um yeah I think again that was kind of the height of ninth Ward when uh all those cats were still repping. but I mean kind of pipe dream I've always thought like you know um I would love McD to have more involvement in Ninth Ward. You know, he was always there from the beginning. Um, And I respect his opinion and his insight as far as the direction of the company, realistically. Um, But, you know, Henrik is the GOAT, really. You know, everyone knows that. And, uh, yeah, while I don't really see that as something that's realistic, but... um, Man, if Henrik and uh, McD want to get involved with Ninth Ward, like, by all means, hit me up. Uh, but, yeah, all the love and all the respect uh, for both of those dudes. Um, and, yeah, I love that graphic. Everybody does. But, yeah, white and gold. Uh, if there's something else that you want to see, I uh, would be happy to make it. But. Uh, Yeah, everybody loves that graphic. I love that graphic. Uh, That's probably the one you're talking about, I assume. There were some other cool ones too. Uh, Some red and black ones uh, with the bones on it. And uh, yeah, but I really like that yellow or the gold and white kind of one with the glue on the tail and all that shit. Uh, That's probably the one you're talking about, David.
0: Yeah. Cool. And then the new, next, the next set of questions is a, uh, it's a call out. You're getting called out by Patrick ring and Dylan Manley. Do you want to guess what they asked about?
1: Bring it. Yo, what, what do they have to say?
0: <laughs> so Patrick ring, he said, will we ever see the decade plus of footage he's sitting on? And then Dylan Manley pretty much at the same time and night. I don't know if they were together. He also asked, ask him when his uh, decade plus part is coming out and why the answer is never. Well,
1: well, there you go. You got, you got your answer right there. The answer is never. No. Um, awesome. So thank you very much for that. Uh, yeah. They love to talk about the 10 year part, but um, I, I, I like skiing in the street and I like filming and skiing and I've got quite a few shocks that I've sat on for a long time that, Um, some of them I like and some of them I don't and uh, I never really had any plan for them necessarily and I still don't Um, I like to post shots on Instagram uh, currently because it's 2022 Uh, and yeah I don't know I've never I guess I've like been in some film projects and stuff like that but um, never really had A legit part. I guess, again, I'm a little particular. So I would love to make a part, but again, I want to have like some creative vision for sure. But um, Patrick Ring is super talented and uh, I have, I'd love to film with him some more and I have talked to him actively about filming with him some more. And Dylan's one of my favorite people to ski with, uh, as I mentioned before. So uh is there ever going to be a 10-year part i don't know i don't think it would be good because like i don't think it'd be cohesive but i also you know if you're making a 10-year part it's not really supposed to be cohesive but um i do have some clips that i like that i'm going to post on the internet so uh, i'll probably just keep doing that so that's why the answer is never Uh, i don't know maybe 10 years from like now to 10 years from now that would be a good decade part but um We'll see. Could still happen. I'm open.
0: Oh, that'd be sick. Thank you for coming on, man. I really appreciate it. You want to shout out anybody definitely plug the website where they could find you. Uh, yeah, let's, uh, let's wrap it up for everybody. Yeah. Uh,
1: first of all, thank you. I really appreciate you bringing me on. You know, I don't really do too much of this stuff and I was definitely nervous. So, um, uh, thank you very much. I really do appreciate it. Even though I can't fucking like see you right now. I'm just staring at my phone. So, Sorry if I'm staring off into the distance. And uh, again, thank you very much. I mean, as always, I want to shout out everyone who did this before me in the ski industry. Uh, You know, all of the OGs. I mean, I've got tons of people to shout out. Honestly, I've mentioned most of them already. But again, Andy Pascoff and Brian Landrigan, original influences. Back in the day, all my homies here, Vishnu boys, and all them uh, that I ski with to this day. Um, big shout out to my family again. Shout out to my mom, rest in peace. And again, my family and my friends who support me. Uh, all the ninth ward fans out there and all the ninth ward supporters. Uh, really, again, I've got you know tons of people too. Uh, that I owe my respect to. So, uh, big thanks to everybody. And again, thank you for having me on. Um, appreciate it very much. Oh yeah. And I know we talked about having some crazy stories. So, uh, there's about a million other crazy stories that, you know, might be a little bit more in the PG 13, uh, realm, but yeah, loads of stories there. So, uh, I'd love to hear some more like original Ninth Ward stories, like I mentioned, Ninth Ward booth, shit like that. But uh, yeah, I got plenty of other stories too. So uh, yeah, seriously, nice talking to you. I'm an open book if anyone has questions as far as Ninth Ward is concerned. Uh, but yeah, the Ninth Ward website's just just ninthword.com. Uh, I've got a big cartel website, but you can find it at ninthword.com. A lot of people don't even know that it exists still. So uh i don't know hopefully we'll get some traction but uh again i've been keeping it super low-key uh keeping it small making skis when i can and trying to keep it sustainable so uh, appreciate all the support i really do awesome
0: all right